District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Hi, everyone. This is Gabriella Hoffman, host of District of Conservation. Hope you had a great weekend and are looking forward to the week. I have a very special guest today in what I am billing as a teaser clip of my forthcoming interview with Alex Epstein of the Center for Industrial Progress. So you guys are really in for a treat to hear an exclusive listen of my conversation with Alex. And he is kind of a contrarian voice in energy policy today because we see a lot of people urging for decarbonization, moving away from fossil fuels, and he's not afraid to challenge the narrative. So he is a philosopher who argues that human flourishing should be the guiding principle of of industrial and environmental progress. He founded the Center for Industrial Progress, which he now calls Improve the Planet, in 2011 to offer a positive pro-human alternative to the green movement. He is the author of The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels and also the upcoming book, Fossil Future, Why Global Human Flourishing Requires More Oil, Coal, and Natural Gas, Not Less. And that should be a very interesting book. He is kind of a bulwark against a lot of the rhetoric you see, but I think a lot of people are realizing there is inherent value to oil and gas, natural gas, and even coal because coal actually made a comeback this year. So if you are privy to hear different opinions about energy policy, why fossil fuels shouldn't be eliminated, Alex Epstein is for you. So check out my exclusive teaser right now here on the podcast and be sure to watch our full length video and read my corresponding town hall column with Alex on Friday. The column will come out around midnight and then the video will premiere around 10 a.m. Eastern on my YouTube channel. So be sure to look out for that. But let me know what you think of this exclusive teaser. Thanks. I'm thrilled to be joined by Alex Epstein of the Center for Industrial Progress to talk about fossil fuels, energy, clean energy and its viability and what is on his mind. He runs a great organization that I just mentioned. Obviously, he has several books. He has one coming out next spring. And he has really been on top of kind of counteracting some of the radical push for going carbon-free by arbitrary deadlines and talks about energies like nuclear and others that are truly clean and has a lot to say about the subject. So Alex, thank you so much for joining the podcast and also the simultaneous YouTube broadcast as well. Yeah, thanks for having me. How did you get interested in the energy issue? What's what sprung it about? And it's it's a long story and I never even usually tell the beginning of it. Um, because the real beginning of it was way before I was interested in energy. When I was 18, I learned something about the modern environmental movement that really changed my perspective, which is that I realized the core of what people call being green or being, quote, an environmentalist in its modern meaning is eliminating human impact on nature. So that was one point. And then the other point was that human beings survive and flourish by impacting nature productively. Like that's actually how we live on an otherwise very unlivable planet for the average person. And so it made me realize that the core idea animating modern environmental thinking was an anti-human idea. And that really offended me as a human in general who likes humans, uh, but also as a big fan of productive achievement. Really, I always admired business people, and you know, athletes, other kinds of heroes, but particularly those who produce a lot of value. And this is really a movement that at its core is against human beings producing value and making the world a more livable place for humans. So I usually tell the later part of the story, which is nine years later, I had no knowledge of energy still. I just had this knowledge that the environmental movement was anti-human because it's anti-impact. 
but I didn't really understand energy, and I was certainly concerned about uh, climate uh, issues and afraid, even afraid of that to a significant extent. Um, and then I started learning that energy is the industry that powers every other industry, so it's really the core of how we make the world a livable place for human beings. It's the core of our productive um, ability, that's one. And then two is that fossil fuels are uniquely good at producing energy cost effectively, by which I mean doing it at low cost, high reliability, every type of machine and in civilization, including mobile machines like airplanes and tractors and cargo ships that are really hard to do with anything besides oil. And then also to could do it on a scale of billions of people. So I hadn't realized A, the importance of energy to human flourishing and then B, fossil fuels unique role. But once I got that, it really became apparent to me that we have this bizarre fixation only on negative side effects of fossil fuels, but ignoring the fundamental benefits. And you take something like agriculture, where we, re we rely on fertilizer derived from natural gas, and we tractors and all this agricultural equipment powered by oil. And yet we talk about, oh, what's going to happen if it gets warmer? How's that going to affect food production? But we don't talk about what about getting off fossil fuels? And I made a comment in a debate once, fossil fuels are the food of food. You're talking about eliminating that and nobody cares. So I, real, my, my way of thinking is always philosophical. And this is a very clear cut example of only looking at the negative side effects of something and not looking at the benefits. So at that point, I really became interested in energy and really became interested in, if you look at the full context, not just negative side effects, but also benefits, how do fossil fuels stack up? And that's really what led me to become an extreme enthusiast for fossil fuels. It certainly has. And your interest in the area inspired your organization, the Center for Industrial Progress. What are your primary goals with the organization, expanding on what you just laid out? So the original mission of the Center for Industrial Progress, and I might have named it differently now than I did when it came out, because it was, it was a broader mission, which really relates to this, my opposition to eliminating human impact. So the, the idea was, I want a movement that doesn't have this, that really values our environment, values a livable world, but rejects this anti-human idea of eliminating our impact on nature and instead looks at everything from a human flourishing perspective. So how do we make the world a better place for human flourishing? And I, since you talk a lot about preservation and conservation, I'll relate it to that. So the view is neither that, like I don't view human things as unnatural or like inherently, certainly inherently bad. I just view them as they're a potential thing that can benefit us. So like there are reasons why with a particularly beautiful spot, you don't want to put a water slide there, you know, or a parking lot like that. But, but it's because that preserving it advances human flourishing. There are other places where you definitely want a road and you need a road anyway to get to that beautiful spot. So I think a lot of our conversation about environment has a very strong bias against human made things. And my view is I look at human-made and non-human-made things from a human-flourishing perspective with the goal of we want the best overall world for us. And one way of thinking of it is having, we want the most pro-human relationship with the rest of nature. So it's not that we're against it or we're for it. It's like saying, well, am I against my dog? No, I want a relationship with my dog that's ultimately really good for me. And of course, that's a lot better for him than him being in the woods. Right. So it's, I think, just having a pro human perspective on environment and industrial issues, that was really the core. Um, but I ended up focusing more on energy than I expected to. So, in a sense, it's the Center for Energy Progress, just because that was my focus at the beginning. But it, it turns out to have an unlimited amount to talk about and a lot of things that need to change. So, I used to think, oh, I'm going to go on to talk about plastics 
and GMOs and all of these other things. And I can talk about them tangentially, but energy is occupying me full time. Right. And that's why you have a really helpful guide in energy talking points. And throughout the years, because I've, I've been familiar with your work for quite a while, a lot of people look to you for guidance about how to refute arguments about pushing for solar and wind and away from kind of this all above all of the above energy approach, which is primarily uh, based on hydrocarbons like fossil fuels. And what do you say to individuals? We see a lot of politicians, media figures, and even some people on the center right who say you have to decarbonize by 2040, 2050. I think some on the right will say, well, we can push it back a little bit. We don't want full decarbonization quite yet, but even some, I would say on our side are starting to buy into that argument, but what is the fault with pushing that type of uh, idea and, and what consequences will that bear, you think, to, so, so to the United States? I, I want to comment on two things you said. So first of all, th thanks. I'm glad you like Energy Talking Points and people can check that out at energytalkingpoints.com. And one, one reason I created that was because I thought I had done a good job at giving people a good high level and even in-depth perspective on the issue of fossil fuels as such in the book, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. And then I would give speeches. But I found that in practice, you know, people have to deal with all these concrete policy issues where the morality of fossil fuels comes up, where other kinds of environmental issues come up. And so I would, I would be able to do it myself, but then other people would have trouble doing it. And so I thought, okay, I want to create something where people can just have this unlimited stockpile of ammunition. So they not only know my broader perspective, but if fracking comes up, they can deal with it. Or if a reconciliation bill comes up, they can deal with it. Or if infrastructure comes up, they can deal with it. So that website, energytalkingpoints.com, like I highly suggest people go to it and just search for any term. And I think you'll see, oh, wow, there's some really interesting points and, and references. So in terms of like decarbonization, I mean, so it's weird because that's the way everyone thinks of it. That's kind of people's baseline right now. Like, oh yeah, we should do that. Or, or should we do it? Or how quickly should we do it? And I don't even... To me, it's it's an insane crackpot idea. And so this, this goes to what's your baseline? My baseline is what's going to advance human flourishing around the world? What energy policy, which includes environmental and climate aspects, is going to advance human flourishing around the world? And I think the, the facts, some of which I've mentioned, are one is energy, low-cost reliable energy is essential to human flourishing. So without low-cost reliable energy, we cannot use machines to be extremely productive and prosperous. And so we're poor and endangered. So that's fact one. Fact two is fossil fuels are a unique source of low-cost reliable energy. They provide 80% of the world's energy. They're particularly good for heavy-duty uh, mobility, and they're very good for what's called industrial heat. So a lot of industry, like making plastics and uh, different kinds of metals and stuff involves fossil fuels very heavily and in hard to replace ways. So their, their energy is incredibly valuable. Fossil fuels are unique. And then the world is incredibly deprived of energy in the sense that billions of people lack low cost reliable energy. One statistic I like that I got from Robert Bryce is that you know, 3 billion people use less electricity than a typical American refrigerator. So it's like the world is still so short of energy so the idea that we're talking about, let's eliminate our unique leading source of energy, that should be viewed as an incredibly scary idea. It should not be aspirate. I mean, should at least be there are huge hazards. And I think the fact that there's almost no concern with the hazards of that and no concern certainly to the scale that is warranted shows there's something very off with the way people are thinking about it. And I think it goes back to what I said I disagree with about the environmental movement. Its whole focus is eliminating our impact on climate. What does decarbonization mean? 
just means eliminating our emissions of CO2 in the atmosphere. Well, that could be a goal, but to make it the goal at which everything else is sacrificed to, there's no human basis for that, particularly if you start looking at it at all. There's no, I mean, there's no plausibility. Oh, this is such an apocalypse. Like you can say it'll be overall bad maybe, but that's questionable, but like it's an apocalypse. Is that an apocalypse to the level of depriving billions of people of the energy they need to live? Even you look at like Europe right now, what's their biggest climate problem? Even a civilized place, it's potentially freezing to death and having their industry shut down because their idiotic policies on natural gas and coal, and they're not anywhere near decarbonized. So my view is the world should be using far more energy. Fossil fuels are crucial. Uh, we should develop low carbon, no carbon alternatives. And that's primarily achieved through freedom. Um, we can talk about the climate issue, but I think even if you haven't heard my explanation or don't agree yet on the climate issue, it should strike you as hugely problematic that energy is so crucial and fossil fuels are so good at providing it and it's so needed. And yet everyone is talking casually about eliminating it. And to me, that's a philosophical thing. Our focus is let's eliminate our impact on climate versus let's advance human flourishing. And I think it's ultimately like a primitive religion, which is just the view that, oh, it's wrong for us to impact nature. And so we're all like, it has the trappings of like, we're so guilty about it. And, you know, we're apologizing for it. And it, it, I don't think it at all maps to an actual magnitude of threat to human life. I think it really is this primitive religious guilt. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you're following us on your preferred podcast player. We like to recommend Apple Podcasts because Apple is where most of our listenership hails from. So if you head over to Apple, subscribe, comb through some episodes and leave us reviews, we'd be more than appreciative of your support in that manner. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat nor a guest announcement. And you can connect with me personally on my social media feeds. All of the Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram links that I have are all denoted by blue check marks. Really easy to find me. So engage with me there. I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you want to recommend yourself for the show as a prospective guest, I'm all ears to hear and sift through different inquiries. I get a lot of requests and my schedule is also quite busy. So you'll see guests come from me. And I'm, but like I said, I'm always open to different guests coming on the show. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.